drops. Morpheus is fighting Neo! Hello and welcome to the Hollywood Fishbowl. We're going to ease off those levels a little bit. I am and can only be your host, Jesse Kester, but I am not alone. Today I'm joined by the one, the only, the illustrious... Aaron Ross, host of Who's the Ross Late Night Talk Show. Did you just wave to your camera? I did. Well, you I'm know used what to you're it. doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plenty of people don't do that. Thank you for being a cosmetic professional on this show. Hey, okay. <laughs> hey, I can do it too. All right, and oh, oh. I can slide over to your camera and do it too. Oh no, your tea! <laughs> well, we're outside the box now, just for everyone at home, and I'm going to let you know that Jesse fully spilled his gigantic tea on his equipment and is taking it very well, but he also might be in shock. Uh, it's whatever. It's what it's whatever is uh we definitely need a towel. Anybody at PAs? Any it's gonna be Jesse. I'm gonna hold court while Jesse, this is probably a first for his show. This is the kind of theatrics we bring to uh, a, a podcast, although it is visual, but you probably can't see at home that Jesse spilled. Can we, What's the language barrier on this? There probably is none, right? What do you mean? Language? We haven't cursed yet. Oh, yeah, you can curse all you But I'm not going to. See, I feel like if the cursing was going to happen, it would have been like blurted out as soon as the tea spilled. And Jesse was so zen about it. Um, this is terrible. This is this is this is terrible, but it. Hands down, it, the worst opening to an episode ever. Well, that's that's a personal feeling about it. But from the, the, the viewers at home, <laughs> as you run upstairs, hopefully the camera caught that. And so as I'm sitting here by myself now hosting uh, the Hollywood Fishbowl, I would like to uh, let everyone know that in these sort of moments, the, the professionalism needed is to remain calm, focus back on the guest, which Jesse has done, but then definitely make sure that your equipment is not ruined. Right. And I think that he's I think that he's secured it. That'll back, get us through the next that'll get us two through, hours. That'll get us through the next two hours. <laughs> this is a disaster. What, what kind of tea did you spill, Jesse? Uh, that was uh, Indian chai oh decaf with honey and soy milk. The specificity of that tea to have I to go was, down. I was very excited about it. Hello and welcome to Hi. the Hollywood Fishbowl. I, I am your tail between his legs host, Jesse Gessler. Today I'm joined by the one, the only, the illustrious... Aaron Ross of who, Who's the Ross Late Night Talk Show. Who has managed to keep his tea. And that th this is the second first on this episode. This is the most bumped mic in the world. That last the bump guest was... Mic? The guest mic. Yes, they always bump it. That's the first time I bumped the guest mic. I'm a long-running pro, my friend. Here, let me so, just sip my tea that's still in the cup. And, Oh, that is good. It is not. It is not as as epic or detailed as your Indian decaf chai soy. It's just a green. There's a little bit left. Just, to just, a, just to, I'll tell you what. Can I? May I? I brought reinforcements. Would you like a can of Brew Doctor kombucha? Um, the love flavor, a sort of colder version of what you're enjoying. Would you like some? I, I'm worried decaf. that you might. Is it decaf? I don't know. Let me look on the other can I have here. Um, I don't know. Is this decaf? I couldn't tell you. Okay. Are, are you bad with caffeine? Uh, yeah, had you had so much caffeine, that's why you just spilled your tea and you're worried if you have any more, you're just going to go complete uh, Hulk, I think incredible like, Hulk on your equipment. Any chance of um, this, of caffeine making this thing better or worse, that's a, that's a distant memory. I say jump in. It's not in the ingredients, so they didn't add it. All right. Okay. We're back online. We're back online. Were we ever offline? 
No, no, oh, we're no, good. We're fine. We're fine. We're, fine. we're rolling. All, all three cameras are still blinking. Okay, uh, we're going to talk a lot about a lot of things Let's today. Talk about things. We're going to talk. Let's about... not cry over spilled tea, and you haven't yet. I really wanted that tea. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Portland, Oregon. Sure. We're going to talk about developing and hosting your own program. Uh, we're probably going to talk about uh, previous. We got a couple previous guests that you have a straight line connection to, including Katie Ann Mitchell, including uh, Misspent Youth. That's right. So we're going to get into all of that. But before we get into any of that, yes, we're going to do something called Five and Five, wherein I ask you five questions and you have not but one minute to answer each and every one of those questions. Deal. Okay, let's do it before anything else happens. Yes. <laughs> and you get yeah. Ooh yeah, nice graphics, sound effects, and. Question number, okay, one. number one. Where did you grow up and how did that inform your adulthood? Uh, born and raised in Portland, Oregon, and um, I, rainy city like, like Portland. Uh, you have a lot of indoor time, a lot of TV time. Mm-hmm. Um, both parents worked, and so I guess that makes me a bit of a latchkey kid, and I was raised by MTV, okay. Comedy Central. Um, and then, you know, late at night, I would sneak back in to watch TV and watch David Letterman. Johnny Carson, Conan O'Brien. So, mm-hmm. I think I think if I had to look at anything, it was it's the rainy city of Portland, which also has its own quirks and sense of humor and mm-hmm. and um, you know growing art scene. And it's a just a wonderful place to live now and certainly then. It was a lot different then, a lot less hip and yes and all all that. Jazz. Most places were. There's a concerted effort to increase hipness. Yeah, I guess that's the way every place is. Every place grows and gets more hip, except like Butte, Montana, which apparently. In, the gold rush times was like killing it. It peaked. It peaked in like 1920 and is, you know, subsequently gone downhill. That but I still, still think it's cool. Your time's up. We got buddy. another another one. Yep. Question number two. What is the must engage media, the movie, the TV show, the album, the book that opened up your brain to the very secrets of the universe? I guess Conan O'Brien's show. I'm, I'm the most like him physically, mm-hmm. comedically. Uh, I think I probably stole a lot of mannerisms or adapted them. His ability to mix sketch comedy and a late night talk show was, I think, David Letterman took talk shows out of just being interviews yeah. and variety by doing just weird stuff. And then Conan doubled down on that and got even weirder and did so much more sketch comedy and things that were bizarre that I think pretty much running through the 90s, which were were my formative times, I think that was the most must-engage media for me. Right there with you. Uh, I love the, the the absurdity of the Conan show. Like, yeah. the, the humor is often based in just uh, nonsense, which is where I'm comfortable. You're doing just fine. This is oh, great. Well, you're, you're doing, doing much just better fine. than me. You're, you're doing you're, <laughs> you're doing great. Tea's still in cup. You're winning this round, That's right. sir. Stop it. Question number three. My, yeah. Uh, well, what it's is, my humble brag every time I oh, sit the I tea. Oh, I know exactly what it's you're a, doing. It's a small flex. A very small flex. What is the greatest source of joy in your life? I think being on stage. You know, I thought about that recently, having come to L.A., where you you get that, you know, um, the L.A. diet of tears, which is which is great for losing weight, but but is high in sodium. Mm-hmm. And and I was like, what what really? Because there's such swings with when you're happy in Los Angeles. And every time that we do Who's the Ross and we do the show, it is it's pretty euphoric. And I've done it a lot, but but it. It's great when you've done something for 10 plus years of that just style and you're, you're even more happy. It's like you continue to grow in happiness. And I think that's where it's at. I've got a follow-up question. We're going to get into it more once we're in the, the main segment of the show. But um, uh, what, what do you do when the happiness ain't there? Like, how do, you, how do you keep a bead on that? You don't have time to answer it now, but you will. Okay, I look forward to that. 
All right. Hey, how about you have a sip of tea really loud? Well, only when I only when I need to throw it, throw it back at you. Okay, but only metaphorically. Question number four: What gets under your skin? Ah, uh, what gets under my skin? Probably rules. Probably when people try to um, when people try to repress who you are. Yeah, I would mm-hmm. say that that's what it is. You know, so a lot of times in school, stuff would get under my skin. You know, having to be with within those rules. Or if those things happen now, I mean, I'm a much more an adult. I'm not going to throw like throw a tantrum. But there's yeah. definitely a, a hard, smart Alex side that will come out if I feel you like you don't I say. Yeah, I yeah. Haven't noticed it. Yet. Right, right. Okay. Just a little more. Oh, Sit my tea. Christ. Oh. That's, that was Jesse's cup. Where he's his, that was his last sip. He's, he's still got. to maximize the last few still drops got a, in there. He's still got 115 minutes to go. All right. Man, that was, this music really. It's good. It's very. Uh, who wants to be a millionaire? Yeah. Do you? I'd be happy to be a thousandaire. Question number five. Uh, what's the best advice that you've received in your lifetime, and what advice do you want to put out into the world? Oh, man. Um, the best advice... I think the best advice you can ever take is, like, don't take it personally. You know, when you're at the ca- uh, checking out of the grocery store and someone's a dick to you, it's not you. They're, they're having a, their day. Yeah. Um, same thing with audiences, you know, to your show. If you're not getting the laughs you want, don't take it personally. Definitely don't, you know, take it out on them. Yeah. They, yeah, yeah. they paid to be there. They want to be <laughs> yes, there. Yes, Unless yes. they're throwing pint glasses or, like, really undressing you verbally. Like, you... You're, you need to change then and adapt so that you can win them over. And you can. Um, so I guess that that's my advice. Also, like, it's not a big deal. Yep. It's not a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every show, like, well, I know we put a lot of effort into it. You did today, too. But it's like, it's not a big deal. We just keep, you know, keep rolling. The only thing that would be a big deal is if T got into the motherboard of this computer. Totally, that would suck. Then, it didn't. It didn't. I yeah. believe in your computer. I, I believe in you. It didn't. I'm pretty They're sure. They're strong didn't. devices, my friend. And all right, the, there we go. Okay, looks like it's all back in yes. back in order. Um, so let's slow things down a little bit. Yeah, let's move past T T Scare 2019. Yeah, but it was uh, well. There's one more thing I want to say before yeah. we move away from that. Thank you for scooping up the slack on that. That was of course. Uh, that was uh, a consummate professional, and I'm glad it was you in that other seat. No problem. I've been there. The, here's the, th- the thing. I know it's a stupid moment, and it doesn't play to radio or whatever we call a <laughs> podcast. But that happens to all of us. And there's so many times where a prop has broken, or a drink has been spilled, or something goes awry. And in this situation, it's not like you could have glazed over it per se, but you can keep it moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and honestly, for- I think that people appreciate the the honesty of it. And it's- like, how often does that happen? Where like disasters almost hit I'm, I'm by ruining your computer it. and all. Yeah, it's a good. It's a hot start to an episode. It's a hot start. Uh, now we got to top it. Jesus Christ. Um, I do want to know like about who's the Ross. So yeah. I've got a lot of questions about who's the Ross, and you can rec- retroactively delete any of these questions as we have. The well, before you do them, let me just preface exactly what it is for the for the that listener. That was my first question. Was yeah, how you frame it? It's a late night talk show. Okay. Um, I I grew up as as we'd sort of have talked about earlier mm-hmm. in love with Johnny Carson and David Letterman and Conan O'Brien and so on and so forth and uh, I just wanted to do my own late night talk show and when sort of presented even a remote opportunity like I got a 
Well, there's long stories behind it and we can go there, but essentially like I had a, I had a space in Portland, I could do it every week and it, and it, you know, it turned from a little bit of a passion project. Like instantly it was my job. Like I could, I quit my job. I didn't have to wait tables anymore at that Mexican restaurant. I'd been at for two years. Wait, you were getting money that early on it? Yeah. Yeah. How, how did that work? Um, the venue was one of the top venues in Portland. It's called Dante's. Um, they're pretty well known for their weekly gigs, their residencies. The owner's really smart in that regard. So yeah, they're a rock club. Yeah, and they're dirty too. Like when mm -hmm. you think of like a CBGB's like bathroom, we've got that. But it's yeah. got a great stage with a great sound system and it's in 3rd and Burnside, which is like right in the heart of, of downtown Portland. And um, they had uh, karaoke from hell Mondays, which is live band karaoke, which yep, people yep. hear of now, but like, 15-ish years ago. That was a yeah, pretty yeah, novel yeah. idea. Yeah. yeah. And then they had Sinferno, which they still have, which is which is like the longest running show in Portland, which is just this like sexy circus. It's this cabaret that, yep. that you know, like misspent youth has her thing, um, but it's like on, you know, steroids. It's big and it's wild and, and it's like industry kind of crazy um, that they've just done it every Sunday for for 15 plus years. And um, there was a singer named Storm Large who who's, you know, kind of a niche so, so, sort of thing, but she had been on one of the like, you know, talent uh, search things and got mm -hmm. a name from that maybe 15, you know, ish years ago. And she'd had a residency sort of doing like a lounge gig where she'd do like standards and stuff, but it was like kind of, it was super sexy and, and she was such a strong character. And when she had left, it opened up this night. There was yep. Tuesdays that this this club had, and, and they I were like, "We've got this super sexy hole that needs filling." <laughs> I know, and I did the worst job with it in some regards because not only did I, as a twenty five year old, like you know, white guy from Portland, which you know everyone in in Portland is a twenty five year old white guy, but but the. I was a guy that was like doing improv and sketch comedy. There's nothing particularly cool about that, especially at that age. That's where you're very uncool. It's yeah. where you're like, here's my suggestion word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I had had this character that was like an American Austin Powers named, named Ed Foreman, host of the Ed Foreman show with me, Ed Foreman, Ed Spirer, entertainer, educator, author of the best-selling book, I'll make you better because I'm better than you. And so I had, I just had a quick question. How much of that was uh, birthed in the shower? Just like talking to yourself. It was, it's based on a real guy in a real book. So that's kind of the oh, crazy okay. thing about it. And uh, there's plenty of talking to myself in every venue, whether it's private or public mm -hmm. that, 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 that I'm able to uh, create material with. Well, even to this day, I used to put headphones on and I run my monologues like while running yeah. or just walking down the street, ideally late after dark. But if people catch me, I have to think like, what a nut job. Now you're right writing a monologue a week? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you write your own monologue? Yeah. Uh, you, you work with anyone? You I have a, I have a co-writer named like, uh, Dax Jordan, who's a wonderful comedian. Someone you can kind of bounce ideas. I've always been them. one other person, you okay. know, one person I really trust. And I've, I've worked with full writer's rooms before, but, um, the ping pong ball between two people is a much easier move. Yeah, and yeah. We, we, you know, we're weekly. We don't need it. If we were four or five days a week, you'd need a team. You'd need people yeah, doing yeah, research yeah, and yeah. coming up with just monologue jokes. But because we do it weekly, the show has a, th a theme each week and that theme dictates what the monologue looks like. And the monologue is basically like my perspective, you know, and like, yeah. and like, and tends to be a lot more, you know, presentational, uh, um, either sketch laden or improv laden working off the audience sort of things. But, um, anyway, so that, uh, aside from, from that thing and, and we can come back to that, um, I'd played this character and, and hold on, hold oh, on. Oh yeah, hold go on. ahead. Go ahead. Are those dicks on your socks? Or yeah, I got cock socks on. Okay. Okay. I just, I wore them actually specifically for you. Cause I, I looked at the collection and I thought I haven't broke out the cock socks 
in a long time. They're stunning. They're from shipadick.com. Another plug. That's my second sponsor plug. Uh, today you are really whoring it up today. well you have to <laughs> are they actually a sponsor a, i mean i they gave me free socks and cocks for a while so i should give them a plug i didn't have to pay for those socks. now i uh, we know what you're doing with the socks mm-hmm. let's talk about the cocks go ahead anyway uh back to the story of <laughs> shit oh don't get nervous about that cock talk <laughs> no this isn't me retreating um, but the, the, I, I want to get through the genesis of, of yeah. Ross and how it landed in LA after a while. Yeah. So I play this character. I play Ed Foreman because I was in love with what Colbert was doing in character, what Sasha Baron Cohen was doing in character. And I was 25 and I didn't have the confidence to be myself and things. Yeah. I didn't have anyone who would be like this 24 year old, 25 year old white guy. Like let's put him in a suit and tie and throw him in front. Like I just didn't believe in that. Most People at that point don't, but I had been working in character for so long doing all of these wild, you know, people that it was just so weird when that guy fit the bill of something I'd always wanted to do as a talk show host. So I had done him a little bit. I had toured a little bit with it as well. Um, And then I had had a friend who said, we're talking like, I've been doing the Ed Foreman show for like four months we cranked, we were kind of like, we were on the road like immediately. Like it was a good mm-hmm. idea. We just like, this is fun. This is going to be awesome. We did five weeks and we were hitting cities like left and right, you know, in the West coast and Midwest. Anyways, I come back and I'm like, God, now I don't know what to do. Like we've done the show a good handful of times. We've been on tour for five weeks. Like, what do I do? A friend of mine had said, you know, well, is this what you want? Like, do you want to do this? And I was like, yeah, I really want to be like, I really want to have my own talk show on television, my own late night talk show. And he said, well, you got to look at, um, you know, find a place that'll take you on regularly, right? Like you got to start doing it regularly. You can't just do it for a bit here and a bit there. So in, in that thought, I had actually had a, another friend who said, you should do this in a strip club. This guy's wild. Like do it. Like that would be awesome. And I was like, that would be fucking awesome. That's a pretty boss idea. It's, and so and it's I, not a natural idea. Like it's, no, if it's you're a looking real, up to Stephen Colbert and Conan no, O'Brien, yeah, that's it's not wild. Gonna... You know? And I was like, again, not necessarily even my wheelhouse, but I was like inspired by how wild that was. But it's was. so anarchic. Yeah. Yeah. I can like, see a why that would latch in a strip club. Your, and yeah. I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I reached out to this woman who did this party bus thing and I knew she did a lot of work in strip clubs. And I said, Hey Jen, um, can you help me connect with a strip club? Would you produce the show? And she goes, I'm so busy. I'll tell you what though, Dante's is looking to fill their Tuesday nights. You should talk to Frank. Mm-hmm. That was it. And it was like instant. I got a meeting with this guy and all of a sudden he was like, this, this st- is exactly what I want was what he said. The story is a delight, but it offers no value to people who would want to be starting their own talk shows. Just that you slid in so easily. Well, no, but it's not easy. I mean, that, that's, that's the thing. None of this has been easy. I mean, I got a lucky oh. break there that's, from a club, yeah. but I started my own talk. Like I didn't just do it once. And someone said, get in. Mm-hmm. I like created a character, did him for a year, took a risk, put on my own talk show, did that three months in a row, went on tour for five weeks, came back, did it again. There you know is. what I'm saying? There's the meat of it. There's and the then, meat of and it. Then, and then was going, what do I do now? I feel like I've exercised what I can do in the space. I just did it, which yeah. was a few in town, a bunch on the road. Like, what's the next step up? You don't just do, you don't repeat that. There's no gain to that. So the friend says, do it weekly. I reach yep. out to the strip club for whatever wild hair I had up my ass. She connects me to the venue. So nothing easy. And then, and then, and then nothing easy within that too. Uh, but you did ask about the money side of things. So I will answer that question. Then and then I have another question. Go, there are many. The, I think boss said, I'll give you 200 bucks a week, which in 2008 was a lot. Oh yeah. Also when you're starting out, that's infinity money. It's infinity money because you were always using your own money to put on every show that you had done before. Yeah. 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 It was pay to play, pay to play, pay to play. And all of a sudden you're 
You're not only not losing. You're not losing money. You're making money. And within a month, he was like, we, we, we can get you some sponsors. He goes, uh, I'm going to get you. Are you kidding? Yeah. It was like, I'm going to get you doers, you know, scotch. Yeah. And yeah, here yeah. was another 200 bucks a show. So all of a sudden we were making 400 bucks. And then we got a raise from the venue and then I started procuring other sponsors and all of a sudden I was like making a true living, paying my rent, doing my own talk show live. So before podcasts existed, before anything, I was in there for people that wanted to go to a venue. Now, are you recording these at this point or is it just, is it done done and gone? Some of it, but you're doing it like... You probably recorded a few. I, I mean, there are tapes out there of bizarre shows. Yeah, whether it was yeah. on tour or our first ones in Portland. As far as when we went weekly, some of them, and there are tapes of them, uh, but we weren't like every time out because it just was exhausting to even, uh, yeah, to even yeah, get the, there. The logistics to put on the show are quite enough. That'll occupy your mind. And here's and what you do. You'd film the first four, and it, a lot of it didn't convey to camera, and then you just go... Fuck it. Yeah, yeah. This and is then not worth the you'd get effort. down the road and go, wait, we're really getting good at this. Let's film it again. And then you have about the same idea of it. And then a year yeah. later, you kind of would keep touching back in until you really felt you were locked. And then I think we did get to a place where we kind of filmed all of it. And um, uh, how did that, how did the film team evolve? Was that one person? I mean, when, when you live in a city people? like Portland, you, it's, I guess it's not different than LA, but there aren't the mass amounts of videographers and photographers and producers and actors and stuff. So there's like, Someone knows someone and they're all of a sudden your camera guy and yeah. they're it for a minute and then maybe you meet someone who's better and that kind of turns over. It was never that much of a focus. I mean, I've always been in, and kind of to this day and maybe to a fault, always been focused on the people that are coming live. You know, like I want to put on the best show and yeah, we're always yeah, playing yeah. in venues. We're not playing in a studio space just inviting people out so we can film it. We're playing at bars because, you know, like where patrons are coming to be entertained. Now from the, from the early days, has it, was it always in your mind going to be kind of a bar show? Cause there's a very different feel from a theater mm-hmm. show. What you do. Well, the theater shows didn't, the theater shows had been done in improv mm-hmm. and sketch comedy. I, I had, I had taken the Ed Foreman character and many others out in a one man show called Al Gore Memorial high school. And I had done them, um, you know, several theater tours in Portland and then around the country. And what had changed my mind was, as I went six weeks to the East coast and back was what it was like to play in bars versus comedy clubs and theaters. Mm-hmm. Theaters were stuffy and my brand of comedy was very interactive and it took a lot to get people into it. Comedy clubs had that juice where you could really like, obviously people knew what they were there for, but it yeah. was like bars that were like, there was much more, a, a, a tight rope act. There was much more risk there, but there was also much more reward because you would get wild people that may totally change what's happening. Yes. Yes. And so, it just seemed the best fit with my skill set at the time because of the fortuitous booking and getting a weekly show. You were just now in a bar, yeah. you know, in a lounge. I mean, and you know, at a, at a, at a club that held, uh, you know, a rock club that held a few hundred people. So you weren't in a corner by any means. You had a yeah. really amazing feature place, but it just felt like the best place for a long time. And I mean, I don't, I think it's just kind of it. Like once you've, once you've played at that place and a lot of comedians started doing this too, you know, Patton Oswalt and Galifianakis and Brian Posehn and Maria Bamford were doing comedians of comedy on tour who played at Dante's just years before I got there that made me feel like, Oh, this is where comedy goes now. And you'll see a lot of people do that. I mean, they don't want to play in the clubs. They don't want the two drink minimums. They, they want to play in a bar where like people really dig it and aren't pressed to, to have the, 
comedy club standards and there's not some corny name to them like yuck, Zanies or Yuck yep, Yucks yep, or yep, yep. the Ha Ha Hole or the Giggle Ditch, you know? So yep. like that that sort of thing, it just always, and we were always in control. There was no one telling us what to do. We got paid and we just, we and it got wild. We did yeah. whatever we wanted to do in the craziest club in town. And yet it was still just 25 year old me, you know, yep, that, yep. that like, but it, but within the character I was playing and my ideals of what I would want to see if I was in an audience, yeah, stuff got wild. Now, were you finding that you had to win the audiences over? Like they're going oh there God, for a for drink sure. and a chat with their friends. So the first two you're years, an alien. I was such an alien. Look, I'm a guy when we can put some sort of media into this where the, the audience can see it or you can play a clip or they can look up who Ed Foreman is, E-D-F-O-R-M-A-N. Of, that's my version where... I'm a guy who looks like Austin Powers, but is like from New York. Like I got a bad polyester suit, a bad wig, Mm -hmm. you know, gold chains and glasses. And I'm bombastic and like all over the place. And the show was free. And Mm -hmm. so people would come off the street in the wildest part of our city and just, you know, like getting heckled for Ed Foreman was just like par for the course. Yeah. And it hit its apex when I created a song for a one-armed heckler um, who did not kill my wife named Lefty. And he, he, he ruined my monologue three weeks in a row. Now ruined me because I had written a monologue and rehearsed the, the shit out of it to, you know, within five or six days, mm-hmm. but to the audience, it wasn't ruined to the audience. It was like, wow, watch how he deals with this guy. Is this part of the show is dealing with lefty part of the show. Yeah. And, but by the third time I was just like lefty, I work hard on this whole thing, you know, and I love you. You're great. He'd come, he'd come put his like one arm on the stage and go, big beard and be like, hey, you son of a bitch, you goddamn it, Foreman, right in front of the whole venue. And people loved it. Yeah. But I wanted to do my show. Yes. And so I impromptued a song that, that in retrospect seemed to have bitten the groove to dick in a box. So I don't think anyone's gotten until at all, but I will say it to you as, as the song was, it was just like, I was like, band, give me a groove. And Lefty, shut the fuck up. And then the band would just be like, and I would just sing this like, shut the fuck up, baby. You know, and then everyone would go, shut the fuck up. And that was your heckler song. And then I would just improvise my verses based on what they were doing, you know, like. Now the band, was that there from day one? Band was there from day one. That was important to me. I didn't want to put on, I wanted to put on what uh, my idols did. So getting a band was important. It was a revolving band for the first year plus, mm-hmm. which was hard because oh, you had yeah. to reteach a band how to be your backing thing. Yep, yep, yep. But once I got a band leader, um, which was just its own bit of luck, but a guy that had had been in one of these guest bands, and then I ran into him, and he's just like, hey, you know, it's good to see you because I've been thinking about what I wanted to do as a musician, like what I really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And he said... I realized I wanted to be a band leader for a talk show. So I was like, how the hell could I do that in Portland? Oh yeah. That jackass said Foreman. Like I should ask him. I was like, you, really? You know, I was like, kind of like, wow, that would be amazing. Yeah. And, uh, and they jumped in and that was it. And it was like, there you were, you had your I had a band leader for six years that, you know, procured an amazing band and, and changed the game too, because he was a MI grad, a musicians Institute grad yeah. from here in Hollywood. And he, he was just incredible. And so he only knew these amazing, what other people, musicians might call jazz dads. They just were like, so, so incredibly good. So all of a sudden we had these people behind me that were like so much better than any talent I had, which is fine. Cause it was my show. That that wall of the band behind you, like, that's, I couldn't lose in some, to some degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At a because every power. transition was amazing. It was power. Every 
ad lib. Every shut the fuck up song all of a That's sudden the had thing, a thing is like when you're singing shut the fuck up and the whole band is there telling that guy to shut the fuck up. Like the and they grooved, they were so good and then yeah. we would get and then we we built it. We and I think this is one of the, to this day one of the strongest things that we do on Who's the Ross, which is we would get musical guests as the show evolved and and like I think as you become less um cult and bizarre and you you're trying to to um, do what your, again, your heroes had done, but your own twist. We would get musical guests that would come on and this band would back them for two songs and they yeah. would play their songs in their style to, but like to a T yeah. and especially for hip hop artists would just blow their minds. Cause they're used to just, you know, laptop backing track, yep, whatever, yep, whatever. Yep, if you're lucky vinyl, you know, and here's this band, you know, sort of like the white roots, you know, like just crushing it. Yeah. So that's been something that down in LA has been amazing too, which we continue to do is the musical guests get, the best this perfectly leads into my next question well segues are my job too uh i want to talk about your booking process like when you started out you're booking everyone all yourself are you still i'm still booking it myself i'm still the head producer in that regard um i would love for someone else to take it on and i certainly i I throw it out there you know my co-writer worked at the improv for so many years and he works at dynasty typewriter now and he's a comedian that's been in the city for a dynasty typewriter a typewriter store Uh, no it's amazing it's basically like the coolest alternative comedy venue in los angeles it's at the hayworth theater um in koreatown you want to sip some tea on that you just dunked on me i have no idea what that what it was uh, yeah 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 yeah. that's right i've been here 11 months and i just totally la flexed on you um it's an amazing space so i look to him and i'll say show's coming up what you got you know same with the musicians on the show but i've become I mean, I've become relatively extraordinary at booking people within my means yeah, of yeah. just getting out there and whether it's... Well, you going, don't have a choice. You got a show to do and if no one's going to do it, you got a show to do, do it. And you also want to do it very well. You know, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, and this is no, this is not a negative thing to, to anybody that's an upstart. I'm an upstart, so it's its own issue or I'm an upstart to whatever degree LA has now made me. Well, yeah, you've got the mileage under your belt up in Portland, but it's, it's a thing to move out here. And well, to it's that expertise it. that gets me great guests here, but but you know, I don't want to just put out lineups that were like we did in Portland. You know, I mean, uh, the best things we could get in Portland were the musicians and the variety acts. You know, because either I was doing this cabaret on Sundays and there were fire eaters and contortionists, yeah, and sword swallowers, where you were like, oh my god, that'll be a great ten minutes. Or there were there's a great music scene in Portland, but your celebrity value, which talk shows are built on, is not really there. We have a basketball yeah. team; you could pull someone from that, which would happen very rarely. You might find some actor doing some show in Portland, you know, a Portlandia or whatever, where you get really lucky, but we didn't have that. So you get here, you have the ability, you know how to book, you have a background, a good portfolio to throw it out. So, I mean, from everywhere, from going to a comedy club and running into someone and asking them to sliding in DMs to a friend of a friend of a friend to putting out a just blanket Facebook post Mm -hmm. about needing a type of guest, those, uh, it, it works, you know, some way or another, you find your lineup that you really like. Um, and, and we've gotten people that I never thought I would get to meet or work with that were literally could be like childhood idols that I've, that I've gotten just by being tenacious, I think. Yep. And what are you trying to book? Are you doing like one comedy act, one burlesque or one cabaret and one music every show? Something or? like that. I mean, the tenets of what I want to have a show is like, you want a name first. You want one name. That name can be a comedian. They can be an actor. They can be a musician. And if you get that name name, then it changes what your then back tiered guests are, which your back tiered guests would be comedian, musician variety, right? Yeah. You want to do three guests at this point. So, um, I'll give, let's see, what's a good example of a show? I'll give an example of a show we did at Molly Malone's. I got um, 
Carlos Alizraki from uh, Reno 911. Yep. Played yep. Garcia. And I had had a connect from him six years prior. So, and I spent probably six months trying to get him on and he finally said yes. So he comes on, on the show back on because he played with us uh, at the improv on the Ed Foreman show in 2012. So this was this past August. I got him. I'd had this juggler on named Michael Rayner who is a wonderful juggler and his wife happened to be Mo from uh, Nickelodeon's Guts. Yep, yep, yep. I then asked her to come on or I mentioned it to Carlos and he's like, one of them said, oh, I'm working with Carl, the other on a project. I'm working on a DreamWorks project that I can't talk about. But I knew that they knew each other and there was something like, wow, that's great. I mean, I would want to see Mo from Guts because I grew up with that show. Yeah, that yeah, sounds yeah. interesting. I definitely want to talk to Carlos because he's like, Reno 911 and Rocco's yeah. Modern Life and the Chihuahua from um, Taco Bell, right? Whatever, yep, whatever. Yep, yep. So we got them on. And then and then after that, you know, so you knew what you had there and you, you had comedy, right? You had, these are strong comedy with presence on television. And then I'm sure we had like a hip hop artist after that, you know, and that's about all you needed. And maybe after, maybe even after that, we had like a burlesque performer. Yeah. But, yeah. They, but that's, that was like, to me, a lineup. That's like, that's a show I want to see. You know, throw me some names. Throw, uh, let me get some good music and let me, get a little sexy in there too. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. you know, so essentially that's what we're looking at. Awesome. You know, uh, no further questions. Case, cl case closed. <laughs> do it. You can the prosecution talk. rest. What, um, what was the transition from Portland to LA? What, what was the, what was the impetus? Were you feeling like you hit your ceiling over there? Yeah. Or? I, 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 this was the second time I moved to LA. So I moved here, uh, in the spring of 2018. I had moved here. That wasn't that long ago. No, yeah, uh, about a year. Okay, but there was another time before that that you. I in I, uh, first eight months of 2012. Uh, oh, okay, I, I okay, okay. New Year's Day, I came out. I had the show in the Ed Foreman style. I didn't have a lot of other stuff going on. It's so funny because I had I had for that move, I had vetted El Cid, the place uh -huh. that we now play Tuesdays. Yes. Uh, starting June 4th. And I had vetted that place for six months and I had visited and I had talked to the owner and, and everything was good to go. And, uh, and then I moved here New Year's Day and they wouldn't, I couldn't get in touch with them. And then five days later, I got a call from a woman who said, hi, I'm with El Cid and um, we're closed down for a while. The owner and the manager have done some illegal things or in jail and, and we're oh, shut okay. down. So I'm sorry to hear, I didn't know anything about your project. Sorry to hear about it. Maybe hit us up in a few months. And I was just lost. I was like, that was the only thing I was getting Monday nights there. Yeah. And I was just now like lost, you know, I had nothing else to hang my hat on. Um, so it makes it very funny to come back. And then that's the venue. Like we weren't trying to get that venue, but we'd actually lucked into it from misspent youth. Yes. So, but there's, um, other venues in town. So like lots of other venues. What did you, what did you do some legwork at that point or was it just, yeah, what, was the, what was the approach? We'd played at the improv. We'd played at, um, hotel cafe. We played at a couple of other places in different parts of town. I went to the satellite. I emailed them and, um, I had to connect at the comedy store that was looking at us. I probably shouldn't say, but I feel like at this point it's kind of out of the statute of limitations, but, um, they were looking at us for something and which was obviously very flattering and ideal because mm -hmm. it's a comedy store. It's got the name of the comedy store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got the lineage of the comedy store. And that hasn't happened yet, not to say that it won't happen at some point, but there was, you know, over the past year, we we, we booked monthly at, at Molly Malone's. We, we were building there. We were, we 
got our band and writer was working with and my one of my producers from Portland who's our announce show announcer moved out here too so everything started to really pick up steam and um but none of the other venues you know yeah we vetted a lot of stuff but some would say oh you got to get this many people and we wouldn't we would you know some would say you got to get 100, 150 people a night. We'd be like, we can't do it. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, Others yeah. would not give. Oh, we talked to the Ha Ha Comedy Club in NoHo. Um, and they had, they said that even Molly Malone's deal was better than what they could give us. There was all these things where you're looking and nothing is clicking. Yeah. And then I go to, you know, Babylon Cabaret to see Misspent Youth, who'd been a guest on my show. And, and you know, all of a sudden I'm back in the room I was supposed to be in six years earlier or mm-hmm. seven years earlier and going, it's a good room. It's a great neighborhood. Silver Lakes would be a great place to do the show. Yep. And she gives me the contact info and hit them up. And they're just like stoked, you know, that's awesome. And then I say, well, I'm not just, I don't just want to play here. I want your Tuesday nights and here's when I want it. And they're like, all right. So yeah, then you're just like back. Not at square one, but to some degree you're like, dang, yeah, we were yeah, trying yeah, to do this yeah. a long time ago, but it just felt like the right place. So for right now it is, and we hope it works. We played there. Um, a week ago we got our like first test gig went uh-huh. really well uh, lineup was great audience was great venue was great so uh, we hope that that can continue to to move the ball forward and then you know at this point it's kind of like either there or wherever the next place is like whether it would be like a comedy store it's like the last stop before the television show like we know it we know we're primed we know how great the show is yeah. we just need the right person to see it and put it on Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or NBC or ABC or whatever, whatever it is, we're ready to go. Have you been sniffing out those connections mm. or are you just kind of like figuring this is the town where they will find you if it's time to, you know, na- naively enough, probably the latter, you know, well, I, th- I don't know if it's entirely naive because there are people whose only job is to go from club to club and try to find what's hot. And well, Justin, let me tell you, like the, with the, fo- the focus is getting the space that yeah. we can show off how hot we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, the focus first was get to a place like El Cid where we could be weekly. And that was the goal from Jump Street. It's just that <clears throat> when we pulled Molly Malone's, we knew it wasn't the weekly space. And we knew we weren't ready because you may be aware, it's very difficult to get people out to your show in LA, especially if you're new. Oh, yeah. There's there's no shortage of other things they could be, other For shows they could be going sure. to every night. For sure. And we managed to build it up and get to the confidence level where we took on the El Cid Weekly thing. And I, and I knew, and we all knew it was the right choice now. Like we'd done what we needed to do at Molly Moore. Who's we? Are you your co-writer? Yeah, band I mean, leader, I say we because, I mean, in some ways it seems like the royal we. I mean, the show is called Who's the Ross? Like kind of, I mean, I make the decisions, but the band is integral. Uh, and they are three people that you got to make sure it fits their schedule. Do they yeah. believe that we'll pull people? They don't want to go into a situation where we're going to fail. Yeah. And same with the same with the co-writer. You know, he's got a decade experience out here. So I, I, what, what do you think? I, you know, to all of them. Once we, once they all checked it off the list, my producer as well, and he was really pushing for it because um, now we're going to live stream, um, which is exciting. That's like a new step for us. <clears throat> so Some yeah, they all checked about it off. That. How involved yeah. in the gear are you on the live stream? Are you in the gear? Yeah, like are you aware of what you're? Are you going to be doing multicam switching? And yeah, we're going to do multicam switching. And what, what's the? Are you are you involved? Know, in all, okay, so you're hands off on. Yeah, I'm hands off on the gear. I know okay. what I want it to look like. I know that we want three cameras and we want a switchboard and that we're going to do it, you know, on YouTube and Facebook and then backlog it to YouTube. But but uh, do you I, already have your team squared off for that as well? Or yeah, we you know we got really stage. We got really lucky. You know, I. 
I put the feelers out the same way that you might try to get a guest at random through Facebook. And mm -hmm. a guy who had produced a show, a live show called Raw Artists, which is out here, it's a national program, but he was our like uh, Portland producer who was from Long Beach. And I, I think he responded to a, I got a couple guys that will shoot your show. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they were off the top. Like we, we liked them, you know, and they, they shot us at Molly's and they were consistent with getting the footage back and doing a good job and growing with us and going and shooting remote pieces in Hollywood too. And kind of the whole nine. And so getting to El Cid, we, we, you know, had a strong production meeting and, and came, came up with what we wanted to do, which was like, you know, the three cameras, which switch, switch yeah, stuff yeah. and, you know, and go live and how many other sketch pieces, you know, field pieces we wanted to do. And, and, uh, and so we got them and they're great. I love working with them. And, and there's That's something awesome. to be said about getting the test time with it too at Molly's, you know, like yeah. they get the show's rhythm, which is really important. Yes, 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 yes. I do like El Cid. Like it's a very cozy venue. It feels so appropriate to be sitting at those tables, looking at the stage and enjoying a show while you, while you kind of kick back. I like the venue. Vibe, the vibes are good. They're definitely not like the ha ha hole um, or mm -hmm. any of those comedy club places where they pack in and there's no particular vibe other than like, you know, like, I don't know the words on the wall that say like zing or yeah, juggle yeah, 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 or like yeah, yeah. pictures of comedians from the seventies in black and white. Yep. Um, it's, it's weird. It's like doing comedy in a Spanish villa, which is, yeah, it's which definitely is, got an aesthetic, which is, which is fun. You know, and at the end of the day, is the stage big enough or the lights good? Is the sound good? Yes. Yeah. You know, cause, and that was something at Molly's Molly's may not have had, the aesthetic in the space for the audience, but it had, uh, it made our show when we filmed it look good. Like it looked TV ready from that. Yeah, yeah. That was enough. And now I think we've got the best of both worlds. People can come and they can dine and they can have great yep. drinks and hang after. And we went to the Dresden after the show for a couple hours, like the vibes out in Silver Lake and that whole thing are outstanding. And all I want to do is create the best experience for, for the audience. I got a quick question. Yeah. I might not have a quick answer. What, what parts of your life are not consumed by this program? What um, do you do other than it? it? It just, Oh yeah, I know. I got, I seem like, like, I seem like the actor that only wants to talk about acting. No, 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 no. It just feels like a, it feels like uh, any show like this would be very consuming if you were just the host or if you were mm. just the head writer or if you were just the producer, it would be a, a full-time job to put this show on. But um, you are wearing multiple hats on this thing. So like, is there any part of your life that it doesn't touch or is it just kind of like, this is who you are at this point? Is this, is this Pl show? Plenty of spaces it doesn't touch. I mean, I would say if you're my friend, you're going to get the material ahead of time. Like you end up testing material on your friends. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You end up testing material on girlfriends and everyone in between. Um, but but I have plenty of downtime. I have plenty of, of, of me time there. You know when to turn it on and, and otherwise. Um, I, I love playing basketball. I love drumming. I love... Um, you drum with a band? Uh, I have I have like a, a friends I jam with from back home. I self-taught a couple of years ago. And so we just, we kind of, we had an amazing guitar player and me and the the, the bass player. So our rhythm section was like, let's, we're going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. They're actually flying in tomorrow for the weekend. And we're awesome. playing, we're playing, we're jamming on a uh, Friday at a rehearsal space. So, okay, so but you're not things, doing it live. You're... No, I'm not, we're not gigging. Okay. We, we've, we've yet to have a gig. Um, it's just, it's just, it's so cool as the comedian, as the host, as the actor to, to get to do something artistic that is like not the spotlight, that is physical, that is collaborative and creative. Drumming. Yep. Awesome. Yep, yep, All, yep, yep, I wanted yep. to do it as a kid and I found it in my thirties and it was, it's been a blast. Basketball was always a pleasure uh, or um, a passion really. I mean, I, I wanted to, to do that for a living and you know, six, two slow white guy who can't jump doesn't get to do that. Not, yep. not even really you know, for that much of high school, but, um, 
I, I jumped back into it like five, six years ago and, and have been consistent. And, and I stopped drinking four years ago and that changed the game, literally. What, what's, is there a story there or is it just one day you're like, ah, it'll probably be easier without? There's a story. Um, oh, it's like you kind of trapped once it comes up, huh? Not really. Well, a little bit. Well, because everyone's now thinks that if I, you know, stopped drinking, there was like some really horrible. No, no, no. Because I stopped drinking. My wife and I both don't drink for no reason other than one day she said, "I get more work done when I don't drink on the weekends," or something, something to that effect. I feel healthier on Mondays if I don't drink on Sundays. And I was like, "Well, that's absolutely across the board. You will always feel healthier if you don't drink. So why don't we just not drink and then we just stop? Like, there's no blowout." night there's no car around a tree yeah like it's possible I didn't have, to just i didn't have <laughs> i didn't have those i did do some stupid shit plenty especially when the show was three days a week right at sort of the there was a period where it was three days a week and, and are was, you partying after each show yeah and it was yeah. at a hotel in the hotel lounge oh so you just you take the elevator home so you could yeah. party a little well, I, I i i tried to live in the hotel but i i didn't because they wouldn't let me but i but i lived six blocks away it okay was, it was bonkers um but um i mean it's enough of what you said in the end it was because life the quality of life was better and i was all of a sudden quicker uh mentally physically um, nothing was really standing in my way when I when I stopped drinking. That's the thing is like it it, it just slows you down it a just bit slows you down. or a lot depending. Well, and, and I, I can't speak for you, but I might assume that you don't need to drink to meet people, and you don't need to drink for oh, whatever. Let's back up. I don't need to meet people. <laughs> there it is. Okay. <laughs> There's no impulse inside of me to go out and socialize whatsoever. I. I uh, I think we we know that a lot of people have trouble, you know, in social situations and that alcohol yeah. is the social lubricant. It's a big part of society. I didn't need that. So when I, when I abandoned it, that wasn't an issue. Um, you know, it was, it was just becoming too prevalent within performance. Um, never, I never, never to a place where anyone would see it and go, Whoa, uh, it's Ross, an off night. Ross really went off the deep end. But yeah. the truth was within the character I was playing for the first five years of Ed Foreman, he drank a lot and it was fake to start. And then it was like part fake. And then it was like mostly not fake. And then it wasn't fake. And then you swung back over and things yeah. were more fake, but we do drinking contests or things. And like whiskey was just a part of his lifestyle and it became a part of my lifestyle and it never got that bad. But, uh, I know that it was in my way for sure. Like that I could never achieve what I was trying to achieve now. So without going into, you know, full details, there was like a moment, uh, like a sort of, you know, a, a tough relationship moment that I felt I needed that I actually got guidance from a friend who, who had gotten sober, who was an alcoholic. And he said, I think the best thing you could do right now is, is to, you know, take some time off, you know, like to, to stop because she has to stop and that maybe that would be good for, for the both of you and you, you can do what you need it to, yeah, to, to do. Yeah. And once I got, you know, a couple of months into it, you, you just were like, wow, you could just see the weight loss and like the better fit, everything. You get like everything, a decade everything, back everything, 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 everything. So you get a decade back. Like now when I look at pictures where no one would have questioned my lifestyle, cause I went to the gym and I could eat pretty dang well. And, uh, but you, I, I look fat compared to it now. You know, it's just different. It was yeah. just, and it was revelatory and it was the greatest thing I've ever done. Greatest thing as an adult, as an adult, the most adult thing, greatest adult thing I've ever done was, was stopping drinking. And that's, I, I like it when there's no story except that I wanted to. Like that's, 
it's it doesn't have that huge redemption arc that no, some and I mean, we, you know, stories have. You but, hear with AA, you know, uh, rock bottom. Like yeah, I yeah. didn't have to hit rock bottom. I have friends that have hit rock bottom. It's it's ugly. It's as terrible it's, as it sounds. There's a reason they call it that. reason they call it that. And so to, yeah, to not done that, and then and then it was once you got down the road and. Like, like I was saying, quicker. I was just so much better on stage. I was thinner. Workouts were better. Yeah. Getting up was easier. No, hangovers is the best part of it. And like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I mean, you know, you're certainly a better sexual partner if you don't drink. And so. And if that's not what we're here for. Damn it. Come on. Come on, Michael. So, um, yeah. So that, so that it's been good having that out and four years next month. Now you're playing in a lot of bars yes. and that must mean that at some point or another there's heckles coming your way. Oh yeah. How do you how was it handling heckles as Ed compared to handling heckles as you? Like what kind of leeway did you have as a character that you don't have as you? That's an awesome question. Tons of leeway as the character, but I brought it upon myself as the character because the character was so big and so like you know, um, sort of like a triumph insult comic yeah. that I was, I was begging, I was asking for it. Yeah. So I would get it back and people then loved it. And then that's kind of your stick. And everyone wanted to see this tightrope bag to this guy that would get heckled and could totally nail it and deal with people. And it was just this bizarre space. People seem to want to be in. When I started doing the show as myself five years ago, it just stopped. People uh -huh. weren't heckling me anymore. Well, you come off as like kind of nice, and I, 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 I wouldn't want to undercut you, even if I was. I'm grateful for that. I don't want to be undercut. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the friends and the fans that liked the version that liked Ed Foreman and liked that element of it. That's not. I'm not having fun, and if I'm not having fun, like I'm not having fun being heckled. I'm I'm grateful that I'm quick enough and I can deal with it, but I don't want to do that. But a character who comes out and says, uh, "I can make you better because I'm better than you." Yeah, exactly. like it's a, it's an open. Yeah, I'm not sure that I realized that necessarily from the audience, but with alcohol plus unfamiliarity, yeah, yeah. man, it was it was coming regularly, um, and it wasn't a shit show all the time, but it was it was it was a tenant of what we were doing. Um, once I started doing as myself, and here's the other thing i then now as myself maybe had to figure out who i was as a host yeah but i also yeah. damn well knew how to do this type of show i'd already done 500 of them so it was like i knew how to do this thing so i wasn't stopped people weren't heckling me like you know you you're going to get heckled in this environment or as any live comedy environment especially when you don't do well yeah whether it's an off night or you're just not that good yet if you're going um or you put out a really terrible bit Someone yeah. that doesn't know you or is drunk or is just an asshole is going to tell you how much you suck. And it just doesn't happen anymore. Now, I say this and I feel like I'm going to yeah, yeah, yeah. Tonight, it yeah, so Next Tuesday, hard. I want to be at that show. But, but um, I don't think so. Like you said, I do, I do think that if I come out and I'm being nice and I, wa I want the vibes that are good for everybody, man. Yeah. You know, I've got a Lebowski thing about it. You know, I just want the vibes that are good for everyone, man. And there's also kind of like this feeling of... Um, not de deference, but um, like your hosting technique is kind of a little bit in the lines of that's neat. I want to know about it. Yeah, I and, think so. And it, once, once you're in that space um, as an audience, you're probably also going to be like, Hey, that's neat. I also want to know about it. And also that, that, that kind of takes away from the chances of like anything shot at you is going to, be actually shot at your guests. So if you're approaching it as a, as a, you're neat, tell me more. Please tell me more about you. Any heckle that goes your way is really going to that person, and I don't think well, anybody wants to shit on the guest. No, and it's my job also to protect them. It's not yeah. always easy. Maybe a guest didn't, 
isn't having a great interview and on their own right. You know, maybe they're maybe they're not that good. Maybe they're insecure about something. They yeah, could yeah. get something. I'm there to protect them. It's my job. They volunteered their time to do this thing. They're not typically getting paid for. But I'm also there, as you were saying, and wanting to know about stuff. I represent the audience too. You know, I rep- I represent the the curious nature they may have. There's like a genuine interest and excitement about uh, joining in your guests' world. I feel. Oh yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, <laughs> okay, so I'm not that far off. No, I think it's true. I mean, again, I also book them because I want to see. I want to know the insides, especially yeah, yeah. when it's a guest. You know, we've had when we had Fat Lip from the Far Side. On the show, um, the the '90s hip hop group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah. just grew up listening to those records. So when I had them on, I did 20, 25 minutes. Like, you know, which later, and if people want to go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash Who's the Ross, you can see the interview with Fat Lip, and we annotated the the bejesus out of it because like we were hitting references left and right from samples to like people you'd work with to yeah, like real inside baseball stuff, real inside baseball stuff, real inside you know vinyl sort of stuff, and and. Yeah, it was what's inter- interesting to me, and and, and and then it's my job to not go too inside baseball fanboy and keep it. For yeah, the audience. yeah, yeah. But I still got a show it, to do. I can see it within the interview, whether it's references or just like I think if I'm watching a show and an MC starts rhyming with the host, and the audience is like, "Damn, that host knew the lyrics to that dude's song," and they're going like, "There's a chemistry." That's yeah, exciting. yeah, yeah. And yeah. you can you can feel it as the host when things need to go back into fun mode that gets the audience attention and when you can have the opportunity to go inside baseball. Yeah, yeah. Then we have games too that we do on the show like Rapper Not Rapper, which would fit for Fat Lip, where you know where's our punctuation to end the interview. You know, when things seem to have run out of gas, what's the one thing we can do to end on a high note, right? What do you what do you dump to? Like what what are your what are your safety nets? Mm. Uh, the aforementioned rapper not rapper will we give you What's know, the premise of that? It's as simple as can be. It's in the, it's sort of in the title. You know, you give the hip hop artist um, eight rap names, rapper names. They have to figure out if it's a rapper or not a rapper. Because oh, in this okay. day and age, like yep, there's yep, only yep. so many rapper names available, and they get weirder and weirder. Yeah, it's hard to pick it out, and it plays really simple, and they love it, and the audience really loves it. So we have that for that artist. I mean, we we always have games on the show. I had a friend the other day say he described the show better than I'd ever heard it described. He said. Who's the Ross is like, it's like a, it's like a Japanese game show filtered through an American talk show. I'd never heard that description. I used to always say, you know, we didn't invent the wheel. We made it rounder. It's sort of like we took the talk shows that I grew up with and we just ran with that vibe Mm -hmm. and just did it through my filter of who I am. And, but a big part of the show is working often with the audience, bringing them on stage, playing games with them. It's the second part of the show after the monologue is always our nightly contest created around the theme. And I think that that was just exemplary to him when he saw the show last time, this sort of Japanese game show, these sort of like things get kind of wild. Anything can happen. It's super fun. Like that was unexpected. And we take that through the guests too. You know, we want to have bigger moments with the guests, you know, where some sing along happens or we always have games like you were, this is to the point you were asking where if we play, if we have three games written, for the second bit in the show, I only do two there, so I can always keep one in the pocket. Yes. So that if a guest doesn't go well, or I want to cut it off, I've got that. Or it has gone well, and I want to end even stronger. You know, or you do have these sort of 
two guests at the same time, like the aforementioned Carlos Alizraki and Mo, where the them oh one of the best games we ever created was with them, and it was like the night before at like two a.m. and I'd had the show written, we had all our things, and I was just like new cartoon character roulette. They both had done tons of cartoon character voices, and I just had three different stacks of cards, which were you know uh, an accent, an animal. And uh, like a disposition or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like like they smoke or they're you yeah. know they've got a ponytail. Trait. Or yeah, trait. And they would they picked each three up and that was their animal and they would just they create these cartoon new cartoon character roulette. You know, I'll never forget Australian baby pig with a big butt and uh, and uh, Carlos knocked over the the blooming onion or whatever it was. You know, after playing didgeridoo, it was like it was just. It was just one of those things, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. it's silly, but it plays to their strengths and you know, it'll play to their strengths. Yep. yep. So yeah, those are those sort of things where you've got your outs. Like, you know that you're going to crush, like you already had a great interview and you have that the back end. You know what that yeah. also creates a lot of confidence. Yeah. Like, I just yeah, had a yeah, great yeah. interview with the two of you. There was 30 minutes and I can do this thing at the yeah, end. Yep. The next 20 minutes are going to be I butter. Gold. And then the audience walks away thinking like, holy shit, they, how'd they pull, that was like a, a real show. That was a- so much of it seems unplanned and improvised. And the truth is a lot of it is. Yeah. But when you, when you have a tool belt with a lot of things you can yep, yep, use, yep, yep, yep. it's like, it's, it's improvised, but like you're stacking in your the deck in your favor. Of course we want to do that, right? Yeah, who wouldn't? I want to have the best show possible. Quick question. Yes. Did you do improv classes or did you start with a troupe? Or? Uh, in, in, improv class in college, made a troupe out of the college okay. courses. Was, kind was, of that, the, was that a college accredited class or was it just something? You, college like, accredited, yeah. Okay. It was, um, for those listening that do improv, uh, it was a short form fall term mm-hmm. and the, at Portland State University. And then I got as lucky as can be. And somehow as one of those, you know, rare, you know, the short form was like always there. Yeah. It was always taught. But they had, they pulled an instructor from this this improv institution in Portland, and they taught a long form class, and it blew my mind, changed my life, you know. And when you're talking long form, that's like thirty minutes or even longer. Yeah, like Harold stuff, and okay. and 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 we, you learn the base of that like you would at any place here at UCB and, and Second City. I went to dozens of Harold nights without knowing what a Harold was. It's probably better that way. It, uh, it seems more magical, I'd think. That's, yeah, once I found out that there was a, like, the that formula. there was an underlying, that there was a spine, there was a skeleton to the whole thing that, it, that was invisible to me until, until then. And the same with our talk show. Yeah. Monologue, games, guest one, you know, guest two, guest three, but guest, musical guest has their game. And, and yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, we always have that in place. That's how booking and writing is actually a lot easier than you'd think. Yeah, but it never, it's that, it's that, that silly little thing that when you get started, you're like, rules, I don't need rules. They're, they're, no, but rule, nobody's going to hold me we're back. going, we don't need rules. But the rules, like, give you so much uh, help to get everything, to go crazy without losing without losing the the audience the best improv you can do now in a herald world this may not be the case uh but but i'll say at least in my world is like the best improv is being the most prepared you know the more yeah. more rehearsed you are within your material whatever material you have sketch show talk show whatever play if you know it so well and you're prepared for the ad lib you'll crush the ad lib you'll crush the improv moment because you were prepared. Yeah. And even yeah. in improv, that's the case. When you're, when you're, when you've skill built to know how the Herald works, to know when to jump in, to, to know when to assist, when to take lead, you're that much better at making things up. 
Yes. But no one came to stage and just started going like, hey, look at me now. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm this character. And like, you know, it, like, there's a reason for these things. Yep, yep, yep. And and no one to bring them in. No one to get them out. Right. Awesome. I think I'm done. Wow. Thanks, man. I, I know I'm a bit long-winded within this stuff. So. I, Brilliant. Just, uh, I like, I like that you talk quickly because there's a lot you have to say. Uh, yeah, I know. It's <laughs> you weird. Get I mean, it efficiently. I don't know who you get that sort of, um, uh, you know, uh, self-deprecating or self-loathing space for you. I don't know if anyone wants to listen to this, but if, if you are curious about how you make your own project, make a living out of it and, and move forward, well, that's, that's, that's uh, the that, story. That, thank you for reminding me. There's the, the, um, the self-loathing and the the downs. The, <laughs> oh no, we don't we don't have to go back to that stuff. How do you what what do you I do? Did ask this earlier because there are going to be waves in any career. There are going to be ups and downs, and the downs feel eternally bleak for me. <laughs> and what do you, what are your practices to not lose sight of the ups when you're in a, an extended down? The best way to deal with a bad gig is is do another gig, right? Mm-hmm. As far as downs are concerned. Stay creative. Even if you don't have a gig, write something, you know, like create something, film something. I mean, nowadays there's no excuse. Oh yeah. You got a, you got a 4k the, studio the, in your pocket. Yeah. Turn the phone on and bingo, you can reach people. So just stay active. You know, I, I'll say that when shoot, you know, golly, 17 years ago when I started improv, the first couple of years, oh, everything was so personal. That's the first thing we talked about. Don't take it personal. Everything was so personal. It was like, we dissect the show and what was good and bad and bad shows would throw me for a loop that I couldn't shake until the next time out. Yeah. And the, the luck of it is, yeah, you get to that place where, you know, it's just another show or don't take it personal. But, um, yeah, when you've done them enough, you know, it's like, I don't know, you take a bit of a Zen approach. You don't get too high. You don't get too low. That's the key. You yes. know, don't S your D too hard and don't chop it off at the same time. Okay, I got what those letters were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It was gross. It was very gross. But <laughs> it's just the truth, man. It's It's... It's a tough profession and you're being judged all the time and, and, you know, it can take forever for there to be reward. And, and if you love it, just keep doing it and, and, and don't take it personal, you know, and don't be afraid to, to like get critique. That's, that's important. You know, that's hard for all of us. Well, there's nothing fun about somebody telling you, I mean, what they're saying is how you could be better, but what you're hearing is how you are worse. Well, have people that you trust, you know, have people you trust around. You also learn how to critique and hopefully other people know how to critique you. There's so much value in being able to critique, positively critique someone else. Like the, those folks are, are essential. Essential. But have people in your corner that you trust, you know, and really listen to them. Um, comedy doesn't grow in a black hole, Dave Chappelle said. And um, you can't take it back there either. Like the audience saw it. You know how the show went. Yeah. The laughs are apparent, but even if not, like when, when, when people that you trust have, have something to say, really take it, take it in, you know, um, says I, I'm going to give the show to you. I think Great. you've earned it. Well, thank you very much. All right. What I'd like to do is cut off everything and then we'll reset and it'll, and I'll be, I'll be docile and subservient and you no, will be no, no. dominant um, stalwart. May, may I use the restroom within this? Absolutely. Do you want yes, your kombucha? Because otherwise I'm going to drink it. Please do drink it. Crush. Um, bro. Bro. Bro, let's crush, bro. I'm going to go crush this toilet with okay. my penis. Please. Drops.